Well, good morning. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Uh, for the past few weeks, I've been struggling with a little tickle in my throat, so if I bust out the halls or the water or whatever this morning, then yeah, please ex- excuse me in advance. Titus, chapter 3. So if you're looking for Titus, it's uh, after 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, Timothy, and then uh, Titus. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter uh, just to put the final thoughts of Paul in context with the entire chapter. Uh, Chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But... Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may be productive to meet the daily needs and to live, not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. As we go to the word of the Lord this morning, let us pray first. Lord God, we come to your word this morning and ask that by your spirit and by your word that you would teach us, guide us, that you would illumine our hearts, that we would behold wonderful and beautiful things of Christ our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, since September of 2007, I've been working on preaching through the book of Titus. I I know, I mean, that's been a long time. Uh, Some of you were in elementary school back then. You know, that's a long time ago. All of us were much younger back then. There's been a lot of water under the bridge since 2007. 
In case you've forgotten those most powerful and moving sermons, perhaps a little review this morning would be in order so that we might finish the book and see Paul's final thoughts to Titus this morning. Paul is writing to encourage and to equip Titus, his true spiritual son in the Christian faith, as he preaches and teaches on the Isle of Crete and establishes Christian churches there. Paul's big message to Titus from uh, chapter 2, verse 10, we see it there, is to adorn the gospel of grace. Adorn is not really a word that we use that often, but let me give you an example. Have you ever been to Starbucks? Well, it's one of my best friends gave me this uh, mug. It's uh, the, uh, the mug where you buy it uh, in December, and you get free coffee for the month of January. And it's absolutely an, an, an awesome mug. Um, it's got all kinds of things on it. Um, these are actually coffee beans and coffee shrubs. But, of course, it's got the Starbucks logo. You're probably very familiar with the Starbucks logo. If not, it's, it's been there since 1971. And, and that's what I want to draw your attention to this morning. So she's a twin-tailed mermaid named Siren. She's a wel- she is the welcoming face of Starbucks and has been since 1971. So what does she mean? What does she represent? What does she stand for? Siren in Greek mythology was so attractive and so alluring that captains would steer their ships from the sea into the port because they would hear her beautiful song and they would see her radiant beauty. They would be mesmerized. They couldn't help but to be drawn to her because she was so captivating. Clearly this connects with Starbucks in that it originated in Seattle, a huge and famous shipping port, and of course the most obvious connection is with the coffee. The coffee and the coffee experience, as Starbucks would say, are so good that you're drawn into Starbucks time and time again just as the ships were drawn into Siren. This is Paul's message to Titus and to the Christians on the Isle of Crete. Adorn or make beautiful, be so captivating by the grace in you and the way that you live. Be attractive to the world in which you live in. Adorn the gospel that that people would see Jesus in you, the hope of glory. That you would radiate the love of God, the wisdom of God, and that Jesus would be real to all who are near to you, not because you're perfect, but because you're adorning the gospel of grace. And that's what people see in your lives. You found the light of the world, and now you're radiating as stars in the universe. Peter says it this way, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. People are coming to you as a Christian and saying, what's different in your life, brother? And so even before we really get started this morning, we've got a great application and a great challenge. Moms, be aware your children are watching you. Husbands, this is your greatest calling 
Students, live unashamedly of Jesus Christ in your schools. Business people, do your work proximity acquaintances know that Jesus is your Savior? There are two other big categories that Paul teaches in this letter to Titus and Christians and us today. He says, first, beware of the corrupt culture outside of the church. The Isle of Crete was famous for its corruption, its evil, its brutish ways. The people were lazy gluttons. They were pitiless. They were cruel. They were snake-like perjurers. And no, they weren't all politicians. They were all, however, corrupt. Paul reminds them, as he, as he does us today, to be in the world, but not of the world. Be out there because the light will always overcome the darkness. It's like every time I've ridden through Tuscaloosa. I mean, you just get it on you, and you just want to get that off of you, and you just need a good washing. This is the corrupting nature of the world. So after coming in from the mess of the world, you just need a, a gospel washing. Paul says that we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God wants us to be witnesses to the world, not wounded by the world. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's second big message is beware of the false teachers inside of the church. This is why having elders is so important for the purity and prosperity of the church. The elders leading the way encourage others by sound doctrine and to refute those who oppose it. We saw this in chapter 2, that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and yes to righteousness. That grace teaches us to stand up for the truth even when it hurts. Grace stands up to false teachers and rebukes them. Every good teacher knows the big key, the big secret to learning, and that is repetition. Whether it's 2 plus 2 is 4 or areas equal to length times width, a student must practice and practice and practice. The teacher must repeat and repeat and repeat. And so Paul does here at the end of the letter in the book of Titus. He might even go so far as to say that in these last few words that Paul gives to Titus and to the church, he's re recapitulating. He's going over one more time to make sure that we get the message and the meaning that he's intended to have. So let's dig into these. There are four that we see this morning. First, we see that God's people need to be ready to defend the truth. Paul instructs Titus on how to deal with false teachers. Once again, he's coming back to the theme of false teachers inside of the church. Remember, these are folks inside the church who are teaching false doctrine and false belief system. Paul has already addressed this matter in the first part of the letter. These schismatic, these divisive teachers are to be rebuked. These teachers are opposing apostolic teaching, and they are contending that God's word is one of many truths. Does that sound familiar to today? Did you know that our first university, which was established in 1636, had and still has as its motto one word, veritas. 
truth. Even Harvard knows there's one truth. God's word is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to what Harvard's original emphasis was. Harvard Divinity School and school itself were established to ensure that that every encouragement be given to serious, impartial, and unbiased investigation of Christian truth. What happened? 2008, Harvard's mission and goals changed in part reading A well-educated student of religion must have a deep and broad understanding of more than a single religious tradition. The goal is to provide strong resources for studying religion with attentiveness to issues of diversity in regard to gender, race, ethnicity, religious tradition, and class. There's been a shift. Today, we live in a culture of multi-truths. Paul was concerned that the church not become a free-for-all. Your truth is as good as any truth. Society, the church was not to debate the possibility of absolute church of absolute truth. The church is to proclaim absolute truth. And Titus was not to engage with these false teachers. He was to avoid them, to shun them after they had been warned twice. This might be considered the short version of Matthew 18 in church discipline. Warn, warn, rebuke. But, the, but there are some people in the church who just love to argue, who love to divide, who love to argue over non-essentials. The priority of the church is simply this, to carry out Christ's commission, to teach the whole counsel of God, not to debate in the church whether apostolic teaching was right or wrong or true or false. We might take offense at Paul's words here. We might say, well, that's just like any narrow-minded Christian who's never open to talking about religious views. Well, that's not the point at all. The point is to love those with legitimate questions and concerns and provide truth in the questioning and the answering. The point is that there are people in the church who just love to argue, who just love to divide, and they do so by spreading false teaching. This is the issue. It is truth. And the church is to be the most protective of it at all times. The church is to proclaim God's truth, and those who oppose it don't get a voice in the context of the assembly of the church. Today, as much as in Titus's day, we must be vigilant to protect and defend the truth. Let's look secondly at tender care that we see here in these passages Titus is to consider this tender care for the congregation. Looking again at verse 12, we read, When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to Nicopolis, for I have decided to winter there. At first glance, you might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with? Paul was a snowbird, and he wanted uh, Titus just to hang out with him for a little bit. Well, essentially, that's not it. Pastoral care of the flock is it. Pastoral care of the flock on the Isle of Crete was Paul's priority. Look at how he says it. He says, when. So not until Paul sends a replacement for Titus is Titus to leave the churches on the Isle of Crete. When either Artemis or Tychicus arrive, then leave. Why? 
Why does he say wait for them? It's because they, whoever was sent, he will be equipped and prepared to continue the work of the elders to rebuke false teachers and guard the flock from the corrupt culture. They will be equipped to continue to equip God's people for God-ordained good works. These Cretan churches were susceptible. False teachers within the church, a corrupt culture outside the church, they needed pastoral care, and so do we. We need one another. We need accountability to our elders. We need elders who are watching over the flock and defending the flock. We need elders who are inspiring us to love God and to love our neighbors. And at New Covenant Church, we are blessed to have those elders. We need elders like New Cove elders who are praying, who are watching, who are defending. Years ago, when I was on staff at New Covenant, there was an elder that would regularly ask me these questions. He would say, Greg, how's your devotional life? We talked about that a little bit. And he said, Greg, how is your wife? We talked about that a little bit. We talked about, talk about ministry and struggles. And then the last question he would always ask me, never failed, he would say, Greg, have you lied about any of these things? He, he was a sharp elder. He was uh, an amazing elder. And I know that not only for me, but for many other in the church, he would ask the same questions. Thirdly, let's look at teamwork orchestrated by Paul here in these uh, few verses. Part of the problems in the church that uh, were related to the law, likely referring to issues related to certain sects of uh, quasi-Christianity or uh, religious sects in the community, perhaps the circumcision group or another that had a a gospel-plus message They would teach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that it it was only part of your Christian life, that you were also expected to keep Mosaic law or other man-made laws to ensure your righteousness. So Paul sends in the big guns to the Isle of Crete. He sends Zenos and Apollos. Zenos is an expert in the law. Now, we don't know much about Zenos and what, what he did, but we know a lot about the problems that were going on on the Isle of Crete And we know Paul. He had a plan, and that plan was always to include the truth, the work of the Holy Spirit, and people. And so he sends in Zenos to deal with the problems of the law. He also had another issue that he was dealing with, was equipping the saints to contend with these false teachers in the church and contend with the corrupt culture outside of the church. So Paul also sends Apollos. He was, as we read in other parts of Scripture, a mighty orator and gospel preacher. Apollos was a dear friend of Paul. In uh, Corinthians, we read 3.6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Titus is to come alongside of Zenos and Apollos and meet whatever need they had. Titus is instructed to give out grace and care for the needs of his fellow believers, But he's also instructed to encourage the folks in the church to do the same. Paul tells him to be diligent to help, to meet the needs, and that our people must learn to engage in ministry, to engage so that their life would not be unfruitful. So the congregation, following the example of the pastor, is to give themselves fully to meeting the needs of the congregation and fellow believers. The congregation is to invest their lives into the lives of others who need it. 
Clearly, Paul wants to see fruitfulness in the lives of Titus and of the church. Rather than engaging in foolish arguments, rather than being distracted by the corrupt culture that's all around them, he says, be fruitful in your life. So easy not to invest in the lives of others. You might remember that an interview several years ago with the first lady then was Laura Bush. She was coming out of a period of depression and difficult times, and she said in this interview, as I threw myself into serving others, I found that it helped me get out of myself. I wasn't spending all day thinking about myself or my problems, and I started giving myself away. And the funny thing is, as I gave myself away in serving others, I felt better. God's Word is telling us the same thing. Make serving others our priority. Learn hospitality, generosity, and kindness in action. Be fruitful in ministry and in your life. Paul goes on to say that we can't do it alone. Paul reminds us this morning that we're not a lone ranger in this Christian life. We're not a Rambo taking on the world all by ourselves. We are connected. We all need true gospel fellowship. And how do we know that from this passage? He tells us, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Paul was never alone in gospel ministry. He either had people with him, or people were on their way to him, or he was on the way to see other people. Paul knows that living in a corrupt world and having imperfect church required true gospel fellowship. Paul loved God's people, and he thrived on the encouragement that he could give to others, that others would give to him in return. Do you have that type? of gospel friend in your life. That, that kind of person when you leave, you just feel closer to Jesus. That person where you can pour out your heart and you know that you'll be safe in whatever you tell them because this person loves the Lord. They love you. They love the gospel. They're committed to praying for you and they will remind you of eternal truth of Scripture. Paul wants to multiply true gospel fellowship wherever he is. We see this again and again in these these last few verses of Titus as well. He says, greet those who love us in the faith. I love this little letter. Go back this week and read it and meditate on it. From the big uh, themes of adorning the gospel and culture issues and internal strife to simply defending the truth to showing tender care to working together to meet the needs of those who are kingdom workers having true gospel fellowship we see today that grace is the root of the christian life and only by grace are good works produce let me give you an example of grace producing good works This is what it means to adorn the gospel. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College, now Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina, when his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. In honor of his marriage commitment, Robertson resigned to take care of her full time. Robertson was a very respected New Testament scholar, author, had radio and TV programs. The university was growing. 
He had been president since 1968, but grace-rooted good work was on his mind and his heart. Dr. McQuilkin once said Muriel, his wife, never knew what was happening to her, though occasionally there, when there was a reference to Alzheimer's on TV, he would muse aloud, I wa- she, she would muse aloud, I wonder if I'll ever have that. It did not seem painful for her, but it was a slow dying for me to watch the vibrant, creative, articulate person I knew and loved gradually dimming out. At the age of 57, Robertson McQuilkin approached his board and encouraged them to begin searching for his successor. If Mural were to need him full-time, he planned to make himself available for that, but it was a struggle for the college president. He had devoted his life to Christian service. Dear friends and colleagues reminded him of that and encouraged him to arrange for care for his wife so that he could continue to serve Christ in his kingdom as the president of Columbia Bible College. Against this counsel, Robertson McQuilkin resigned from Columbia Bible College in 1990 to care for his wife, Muriel. When the time came, the decision was firm. He said it took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before in sickness and in health to death do us part? To the student body, he said, I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've ever had to make is this one because circumstances dictated it. Muriel, now in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy with me and almost never happy when I'm not around. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, then there's anger and distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented, and so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I'm a man of my word. But as I have said before, it's the only fair thing. She sacrificed for me for 42 years to make my life possible. So if I cared for her 40 years, I'd still be in her debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to. It's that I get to. I love her very dearly. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Grace expressed in good works. Grace expressed in meeting the needs of his bride. Grace expressed in knowing priorities. Grace expressed in love and tender care. Grace expressed in truth and commitment. That's what it means to adorn the doctrine of grace. She's such a delight to me. I don't have to care for her, but I get to. Married for 53 years, Muriel died in 2003. 13 years, McQuilkin said, I got to take care of her. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, as we come to you once again, we're reminded that we need your grace to live this life, to love the truth, 
to defend the truth, to honor the truth, to walk in the light as you are the light. Father, we are reminded this morning also that uh, your, your word is truth, and so we need to be all about defending your word, loving your word, knowing your word, and having it hidden in our heart that we might not sin against you. Father, our prayer this morning is that you would enable us by your spirit to do the good works in which you have called us to do, that you have predestined to do for, and Lord, enable us to do it well, to live by grace, that all may know the hope that we have, which is Christ our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.